Oh, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. It's always a blessing, and I just love this congregation. So um, I want to start out by telling you just a little story. And um, it's about a preacher who passes on, and he's waiting at the pearly gates, okay? And there's another guy dressed in a loud shirt, wearing shades. Not sure you need them then, but... So St. Peter addresses the cool guy and says, Who are you? So I may know whether to let you enter the kingdom of heaven. The man says, I'm Dennis, a retired airline pilot from Florida. St. Peter consults his list. He takes a silk robe, a golden staff, and he says, Welcome. Step into the kingdom of heaven. Next, It's the preacher's turn. He stands tall, and he declares, I'm Pastor Bob from the Christian Life Center, Anaheim, California. For the last 30 years, (laughs) St. Peter looks at his list and says, take this cotton robe and wooden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. The preacher says, wait a minute. The pilot gets a silk robe, a golden staff, and I get cotton and wood. St. Peter said, up here we go by results. When you preached, people slapped. When he flew, people prayed. (laughs) Isn't that good? So... I am your pilot for today. <laughs> One in the story, actually, Bill Johnson from Reading Church, uh, Bethel Church in Reading, California, told that story. So I thought, well, if he can tell it, then I can. Uh, he's a senior leader. Some of you are familiar, maybe, with that church. Um, he's really influenced me in a lot of ways. And one of the things he taught many years ago. And he said, there are cornerstones for our faith. There's cornerstones for a renewed mind. And the beliefs we have have a huge impact on how we see God, how we see our other, others, how we see ourselves, too, and um, the way we live out our lives. When I first heard them, I began to think about how right he was that these are really important. So I'm going to tell you what the four cornerstones are, and then we're going to focus a little bit on just one of them. The cornerstones, the first one is God is good all the time. We sing that. I love that song. That was perfect. I turned it on this morning as we were driving over here. And he's good in every season and circumstance. He's in a good mood. He really likes you. He likes me. He isn't waiting to squash you or hit you with a fly swatter when you do something. His goodness knows no limits. His goodness toward us, just like his love. And we often have a mistaken view of that. 
And I'm going to dig into that one a little later. The second one is nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 19:26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we are called to walk in that, that God does the impossible over and over again. And sometimes people shy away from the whole idea of miracles because they seem so impossible to our minds. But what makes us think that anything about the Christian life is possible without him, without his grace, without his mercy to us? It's Jesus living in us and through us. That's what makes it possible. In Mark 9, 23, I think we probably all have quoted that one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All. He didn't say sometimes, part of the time. All things. And it's our natural mind that looks for exceptions. The third one is we fight from the victory of Christ. Jesus truly did pay it all. And when he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant that. Not almost finished or one of these days. He said, as he hung there, it is finished. And I can remember years back hearing about spiritual warfare and really getting into that. And, um, you know, sometimes what would happen was I started to get afraid of the devil. And I started to see him as bigger than he is. And I forgot or didn't know yet <clears throat> that he's defeated. He is a defeated foe. And scripture says again, greater is he that is in me, he that is in me, than he that is in the world. <clears throat> Jesus won the war at the cross. The victory was accomplished. And our job is to come into agreement with his truth, with what he says. And the fourth one is every person is significant. I am significant. You are significant. Can you say that with me? I am significant. I am significant. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, I am am significant. Okay. And sometimes, you know, we, we have to say it to one another too. You are significant. But I just want to tell you, if that's stuck coming out, then it's an area of your mind that needs renewal because you are significant. We are who he says we are. And we have to know our identity. So those are the four areas. And we're going to focus uh, a bit on God is good. And there's lots and lots of references. Um, when Moses, for example, asked to see God's glory, he hid him in the crack of a rock and he covered his face. And we need a little background here. And then just a second, we'll put up that scripture. God had led his people out of Egypt. He had parted the water 
They had gone through on dry land. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and seen that? He gave everything that they needed. So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God and get some instructions. Um, We call them the Ten Commandments. The people got restless, and you know what they did. They built a golden calf. All the women, maybe the men, gave up their gold jewelry, and they made this calf to worship instead of God. So Moses had to intercede on behalf of the people, even though he was angry with them himself. So let's look at this scripture in Exodus 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. Now I had to practice that line so I didn't sound too snarky because God, these people... But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. So Moses knew how God felt about him. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. When we know his ways, we know him. So that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you. Emmanuel, God with us. And I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us out of here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. I can't tell you how often that God wants to repeat those words to you. I know you by name. You have found favor in my sight. His love for us is amazing. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, the Lord said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion. And then we don't need to read the rest Uh, let's see. Well, let's do it. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand. God protects us. He keeps us. He holds us. We're in his hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not be seen. So Moses wanted to see his glory, and what does God show him? His goodness. That's really important. So um, there are challenges to our belief all of the time, lots of challenges to our belief that God is good. God understands how important it is that we trust in his goodness. 
I think that's why there's such a fight for that. The first assault on that, that God is good, happened in the garden where the enemy came to Adam and Eve, first to Eve, and he challenges Eve. Did God really say that? And then he convinces Eve that God's holding out on them. That that tree he said you couldn't have, he's not so good. He's holding out on you. You know, the truth is that God was demonstrating his goodness to them because when we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then it becomes us making those decisions rather than relying on him in our intimacy with him and his directing us. So he was good to tell them, don't, don't eat from that tree. But that began man's struggle. Do you see that challenge? Is God really good? Um, some years ago, I had a series of events that uh, kind of rocked my world. Um, I was pastoring at the time, and I thought, I can't do this. I'm going to give up. I, I wanted to hide somewhere. I thought about a lot of things. But deep in my heart, one thing that came to mind was, I remembered what it was like to live without Jesus. And I knew that I didn't want to go back there. But there was so much turmoil, and it seemed like everything I thought I knew was turned on its ear. And I can remember, um, God, God, help. And sometimes that's one of our best prayers. God, help. Jesus, help. But I was questioning everything, and it really looked like an end to me. But I found out that it was beginning. It really was a beginning. And I sat down one day with a notebook and a pen, and I said, okay, what do I know? What do I know? And I came up with two things. God is good. No matter how I felt. And that God loved me no matter how I felt. And I wasn't sure how things were going to turn out, but I felt like I was on firm ground again, that that was a place I could keep going, that God was good and that he loved me. You know, many of us have been in that place. I bet you could think of a number of places where you've been, where the challenges have been so strong and so hard. Some of you may be there today. And I just want to assure you that God wants you to know that he loves you and he's good. So I'm a little bit of, inject a little bit of humor here. The good news is that God pulled me through. It felt like a knot hole. I mean, sometimes do you see where, like, I can't fit through there? And I didn't know what it looked like on the other side, but it sure felt like it wasn't going to work. 
But God, he pulls us through. And I can laugh now. I didn't laugh much then. So let's look at some examples from scripture. Um, David knew what it was like to need to know that God is always good. There were folks out there that wanted to kill David. Uh, Some of them were his relatives. King Saul, he had loyally served, wanted to kill him. And he had a ragged band. 1 Samuel 22.2 says, Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with them. Did you read their description? And you know what? Even these guys weren't sure they wanted to follow David. That's a hard place to be. His wife made fun of him publicly when he danced before the Lord. There were a lot of places. And if you read the Psalms at all, David doesn't mind telling you how bad things are. And every time, though, he finds his way back into the presence of God. And how many times in Scripture he'll say, God, you are good. Your love endures forever. So that's what needs to happen for us is find our way back. Find our way back. I don't know about you, but in those painful places, and I shared one story, my heart betrays me a bit, or I see the challenges that are in my heart. You know, I can mentally assent to the truth that God is good. But sometimes I want to say, what about this, God, or What about that? Or how about what happened here? Okay? And can you tell in my tone of voice, my attitude a little bit? And we can all fill in the blanks. We have places where we question. Why on earth, God? Or why in heaven's name, God? And we challenge with the wise. And we build a case, sometimes against God with our questions. We don't easily settle for not knowing. We're we're just wired in a way that we think if we have an answer to the why, it'll be better. You know, the better question I've come to to ask God is, help help me understand. Show me what I need to know here instead of demanding the answer. John the Baptist was an example in Luke 7 and Matthew 11. He sent his disciples. He's in prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that I have spent my life for? And Jesus said, tell John what you saw. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, the gospel preached. 
Jesus was the Messiah. He came to set the captives free. But John stayed in prison. And Jesus ended this with Luke 7.23. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When I don't understand, I will choose you, God. Katie Torwald sings that song called, I Breathe You In, God. When I don't understand, I will choose you, God. I will choose to love you. Um, a couple of years ago, I went through something pastoring that was devastating to me. I made some mistakes. I missed some things that I, I should have been paying attention to. And it had grievous consequences, terrible things. I remember crying, and I cried buckets. I cried a lot. And in the midst of this, I could hear Jesus say, I love you. He knew the pain. He didn't abandon me no matter how I felt. He continually reassured me. And I want to read you something. Um, some of you are familiar with manual journaling. Some of you went through the class two years ago. Uh, we're actually going to offer it again um, March 20, 21st, a Friday and Saturday night. This has been life-saving for me to be able to sit down and write down what God's saying to me. I don't know about you, but I argue with my thoughts. It, when we write it down and we read it and see that God's speaking to us. So I'm going to share something that God said to me during this time. He said, Rena, you can ask me anything. Although for now, I invite you to let it rest. I will continue to comfort and strengthen you. And knowing that and feeling that is so much more valuable than gaining answers. Can you trust me this way? Can you live without the why being answered? And I could feel a peace came when I said to him, I will trust you. I will trust you. And, um, you know, it's something like when one of your kids tries to carry something too heavy for them, and you come and you rescue them and you carry it. It felt kind of like that, that I wasn't big enough to carry that, that God didn't intend for me to carry it. And then a few days later, I know none of the rest of you do this. Once it's settled, it's settled for good. A few days later, I decided I would write down everything I'd done wrong. Every mistake I had made, and Jesus very gently said, don't do that. I've forgiven you. And a few days later, as I cried again, because you know what? God knows us, and he knows that there are things we recover from kind of in increments. And as we keep going back to him, he keeps bringing his presence and his comfort. A few days later, as I'm crying again, and I said, it's like a bell 
that won't stop ringing. And I knew, um, and he said to me, Rena, my love never gets quieter. It's a bell that never stops ringing. And as you turn to me, it will resonate through you again and again. So I desire for you to experience how grand, how expansive, how eternal my love is for you. Pain is not bigger than my love. But the enemy deceives people into believing that it is. Continue to experience and joy, proclaim my love to others. It's my job to help them receive it. And I didn't have any logical answers, but I did have that confidence that God is good, that he loves me, and that he was with me. So um, just encourage you to think about, pray about that Emmanuel seminar. It's really been helpful for me. So here's kind of what happens to us. We get offended with God. We blame him or we get angry with him. We question him. And he's big enough to handle that. But pain does that in people. People lash out when they feel threatened. And we do that sometimes with God. We want an answer for our logical mind. And yet, the answer doesn't always help us. God's not afraid of our pain. He's not disheartened when we come to him. He's not disappointed in us when we feel what's going on for us. He values honest expression. He knows anyway. He really does know exactly. So it's for us to acknowledge it honestly before him. You know, one of my favorite verses um, and I've used it lots of times as I meet with people and somebody has said something in the heat of the moment that's pretty terrible. Job 6.26. I don't think I have a slide, but I can tell you where it is later. Job 6.26. And Job had comforters who didn't provide comforts. And here's what Job said. Do you intend to reprove my words when the words of one in despair belong to the wind? What would happen if we treated those words of one in despair as if they belonged to the wind? Job wanted things to make sense. His friends had worked hard to find a reason and explain it to Job. But here's what God says when he meets Job. Job 42, 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I did not understand, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. It's some pretty major questions, like where were you when I created the earth? 
And Job says, I had heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back what I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I have sat many times with people who have shared very painful stories, painful events. And a lot of times, the question that it gets down to is, God, where were you? when this terrible thing happened to me. And often there's such a sense of shame and a sense there's something wrong with me that this happened. Sense of abandonment. There are times where I can't even begin to guess how God will answer people that are seeking him. So I want to read you a quote here from Dr. Carl Lehman, and he's a, he's a Christian psychiatrist from the Chicago area who developed a manual prayer, which we've talked about. Um, and he reports in his work with individuals who have experienced severe trauma, he says, some have seen Jesus on the cross, and they report. He showed me that when I was being hurt, He was on the cross preparing the way for my healing. A number of people have had profound experiences of being aware of Jesus in the traumatic memory, superimposed, experiencing the trauma with them. The Lord often tells people that he is sorry, that he's sad about the trauma, but he doesn't apologize or ask for forgiveness. At the end of a profound session, one of our clients reported, he was sad that I suffered so much pain, but he didn't apologize for my life. He showed me how he used all the bad things to shape me into the jewel he created me to be. So often, my experience has been when people experience Jesus with them, the questions disappear. They know that they were not alone. They know that God loved them. And they can settle for not getting all of the answers. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know what hurts us the most in situations like that is when we get angry with God. Because the very one who can help us, we're mad at. And um, sometimes I found I just have to, yes, I have gotten angry with God. And I found I have to release that anger. I recognize it and I let it go. Because you know what anger does for us? We put up our hand to God when we're angry at him. And you know what? God respects our will. Does that mean it's over? No. You know what? God's love is so amazing. I've seen him come around in ways that make me take my hand down. But sometimes we do that. We have an offense toward God. 
because of what's happened for us. And we need to release it, let it go to him. I've heard people say, I need to forgive God. Well, we all know theologically that God has never sinned. But sometimes what we need to do is release an event, our feelings, the things we've held against him. That's the place that God has brought breakthrough for me. So be honest with God. It's important to do. Let's look at Psalms 27, verse 13 and 14. I would have believed, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And waiting is looking for him, even looking eagerly for him. There's times we just need to celebrate his goodness. We need to hunger for him. We need to cry out. We need to rejoice in him. We need to worship as we did this morning. All so many ways. Take a walk out in the beauty that he's made. There's so many ways to encounter him and encounter his goodness. And when we do, we can live in those places of mystery where the answers, we we don't have the answers yet. But when we encounter him, David, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. So, I want to tell you another little story um, where I I needed to believe that God was good. And this was um, late in the fall of 2001. And Ed and I got a call from a brother that was living in Texas. Ed's dad had gone to live there. I could never understand why he chose Texas over Minnesota. I just couldn't figure it out. (laughs) He was 92, his health was failing, and so we traveled down there for Thanksgiving. And um, at the time, it was a rough time in my life. My mother had just been diagnosed with cancer, and I was in the process of trying to move an aunt who had a lot of stuff to a little apartment. And so it was a really stressful time. I remember feeling overwhelmed. But when we got to Texas, we had the most incredible time with Ed's dad. So I asked him, what do you do? He didn't watch TV anymore. He said, well, I go out to the garden. They had an inner courtyard. Wouldn't have had that in Minnesota. (laughs) Nice courtyard, lots of green things. And he'd go out there and I'd say, you go out in the garden? What do you do in the garden? He said, Rena, what do you do in a garden? You talk to God. I'm like, you talk to God. And I have to tell you that um, we had talked about Jesus over the years, and most every time I had irritated him to pieces about, you can know him. You can have a personal relationship with him. You can know that you can go be with mom who's in heaven. And most of the time, it annoyed him. So when he said he spent his days talking to God, I was really amazed. And there were some beautiful things that happened. 
Ed's dad told him he loved him. Told him he was proud of him. Things that he'd never been able to say. It was beautiful. So we spent a wonderful week just sharing and loving. And then it was time to go home. And we knew he was nearing the end of his days. And I wanted to stay down there. I didn't want him to be alone. Ed's brother and wife were there, and they visited him a lot, but you know how that feels sometimes. You just want to be there. But it, did, it wasn't anything that could work at all. So my prayer all the way home is, Lord, please, don't let him die alone. Don't let him be by himself. So it was about 10 days later we got the call that he had passed, and my first question was, was Dad alone? And they said, yes. He was. And I, my heart. And I thought, okay, God, you're good. You loved him. You love me. I'm going to let it rest. And um, God is good. Listen to what happened. Probably two months later, we got a letter. It was from a hospice worker. And she said, Dear Mr. Grazier, I want to let you know what a privilege it was to care for your father. He was a very unique man. Nice, those are nice words, unique. <laughs> and it was an honor to be able to care for him as much as he would allow me. His last day was a blessing for me. I received a call before 8 a.m. that he was experiencing respiratory distress. I quickly dressed and drove to the Maybe Center. I found your father with his eyes closed and no problem breathing. I touched his shoulder and I asked him how he was. He smiled with his soul. His face became radiant. It glowed and he laughed and said, It's wonderful. It's wonderful and he squeezed my hand. I went to get Martha. I told her your dad had no distress, and she was disbelieving. Then she came and saw what I had seen, and she was as blessed as all of us that witnessed your father's delight in his vision of heaven. I feel certain that he saw the face of God. Martha tried to reach you so you could share this too. I want you to know there was pure joy in his room, and all of us, the nurses, Faye and the aides, saw it and shared. We couldn't help but smile and laugh while we were in his room. He kept holding and squeezing our hands, telling us that we were wonderful, we were beautiful. Then he'd raise his eyes to heaven and smile and laugh. And he'd say, it's wonderful. I told our chaplain, Oscar, and he came and saw your dad, and your dad told him, Jesus is in this room. My faith was certainly strengthened that day, and I was blessed because I had the great privilege to care for your father. I will always be grateful. I hope you're doing well. God is so amazing. So I just want to, I guess I want to ask you this morning, if 
Holy Spirit might have brought something to mind for you. Is there a place where maybe your heart has challenged God? He's brought something to attention. Maybe it's a place where we're offended with God. Maybe it's a place where we need to ask forgiveness and to release bitterness. I have those places. Most of us do. So I would just encourage you today, take some time, and you can do this, you can do it after the service if you want. And then I know you have prayer ministry back there in the corner. Is that right? So take some time and see if there's a place where you have something that God wants you to release to him. And ask him, God, help me be more aware of your goodness. And see what he does. Just like with Moses, he showed his goodness. He wants to do that for me, for you, for each one of us. And he wants to open our eyes and our spirits so we can see that. So... um, I'm going to just pray for us, and then does the worship team want to come up? That'd be great. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for what you gave us when, when Jesus came, when he rescued us when he died and rose again for us. And Lord, we all need to know, to be aware of your goodness. We all need a deeper trust in you. So we just offer ourselves to you this morning. We just trust you to work in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. And we ask, just like Moses did, Lord, let us see your goodness. Show us your goodness. And I thank you, Lord, that you you are so loving, you're so kind, you're so merciful, and that you have even more for us than we've experienced yet. So we turn our hearts again to you, and we say, we love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.